Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. So love the world that he gave his only son whosoever believes will not perish they shall I shall hold to God alone, for His love has salvaged me, for His love has set me free, for God, for God so And I shall wait upon the Lord, and I shall wait upon His word, and by His grace I am released, and by His grace.
Well, how are you, church? Oh, wow, that, that sounded convincing. Um, maybe you're already uh, tired of family service. How are you, church? You good? Yeah, good. How could you not be, right? We're within 24 hours of our uh, Christmas Eve services. My kids affectionately call today Christmas Adam, and uh, they're as excited about Christmas Adam as they are about Christmas Eve, and some of y'all get that later. That's okay. All right, we all can't be on the same page as that. Uh, maybe the, co- the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet, uh, but you'll get that later, and then that means that we're uh, within 48 hours of Christmas Day. How many of you, especially the kids that are in the room, are excited about Christmas Day? Okay. Hey, not too many. So yeah, look, I mean, that's okay uh, too. I, I try to convince my kids that I'm as excited as they are about Christmas morning and all the gifts that uh, they get. Um, it's a pretty awesome day. Uh, but what makes it the most awesome is that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which is the reason uh, that we're in this series called Sensational Christmas, where we're discovering that while Christmas is the most sensational time of the year, um, we're, our senses allow us to experience God or experience things, and Christmas is about experiencing personally and firsthand uh, God in the flesh uh, named Jesus. And so throughout the series, we've been learning about how we can experience God through the senses. We've talked about how we could hear God. We've talked about how we could taste and see that the Lord is good. We talked even last week, believe it or not, about our ability to smell and to experience God through smell, and then how we actually smell to the world, which is pretty funny when you're a middle school boy, um, you know. And then today we're going to talk about the fourth of five senses. Tomorrow we'll talk about the fifth one. Uh, and so we want to invite you back. Uh, and as Pedro said, hey, we've got a very limited space available at three o'clock and at six o'clock. So make sure that you grab those tickets. Today we're going to talk about the sense of sight and how we experience through the sense of seeing things. And, um, and Christmas, when it comes to seeing things, it's a sensational time of the year. I mean, everything's bright, everything's uh, sensational uh, with that. And, and some of the greatest sights that we can experience um, through the Christmas season are through Christmas movies. Um, how many of you love Christmas movies? How many of you women, you just love those Hallmark Christmas movies? Be honest, yeah, you've got your shirt uh, that I've seen floating around on Facebook that talks about Hallmark movies, stuff like that. Well, for the rest of us, um, maybe we've got some other um, movies that we like. On the count of three, why don't you just yell out your favorite Christmas movie? One, two, three. I don't know what you said, but if you didn't say Elf, you are not right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is. At our house over the past three nights, we've watched Santa Claus 1, Santa Claus 2, and Santa Claus 3, and they just all go downhill after that first one. I'm pretty sick of Tim Allen. Anyway, um, we've got two more nights to watch Christmas movies, and we're going to cram as many in as possible. One of our traditions over the past couple of years is to try to watch as much as possible Christmas show every night so that we can experience Christmas and the fullness of it uh, through the experience of sight. But perhaps when it comes to the greatest um, thing that we can see during the Christmas season, it's not in the form of movie. It's actually in the form of lights. How many of you have taken some venture out so far to maybe a, a place where you have like a, a place where you pay, you go in and you see some lights, maybe um, Lake Lanier, uh, maybe Callaway Gardens, Atlanta Botanical Garden, somewhere like that. How many of you have plans to do that either today? Um, how many of your friends are actually there right now? Um, well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we can't do that during the day. But uh, yeah, and, and if and if you haven't done that, maybe you've just driven around trying to find the best lights possible. Anybody already done that? Um, we are going tonight as a family to do that. And so at some point when the sun goes down, we'll be out there trying to find the best lights in, um, in the community. We know where some hot spots are, and so we're planning to go there. If you've got any uh, recommendations, uh, feel free to hang around afterwards and let me know where those are so that I'll look like a great dad and I know where those places are. Um, feel free to do that. Yeah, but one of the favorite things that we do, and probably one of the favorite things for you to do, is to take a look at sites. And we should, because there are a lot of people that spend a lot of time and a lot of money on putting up lights as decorations. Um, in fact, in America, uh, this year it's estimated that Americans will spend over $6 billion combined in putting up Christmas lights. Um, and some people have now started actually paying other people to put up their um, Christmas lights that they bought. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands if you did that. Um, but um, yeah, some people are paying for others to put up their Christmas lights. And then on top of that, we'll pay on average about 45 extra dollars 
in uh, our power bill over the, the two months that people decorate. Now, you can save some money by doing it the right way, which is not setting up until after Thanksgiving for Christmas, and you'll save about half of that amount. But anyway, yeah, I got an amen out of that. Like, what's up? Um, so, so yeah, a lot of people put a lot of time and effort into that, including one family that lives in New York who last year took back the crown from Australia as being the world record holder for Christmas lights where they put up 600,000 lights in their front yard and on their house. We've got a picture of that house. This is a little bit about what it looks, geez, yeah. Um, and, uh, and they actually have these lights synced to over 200 Christmas songs that when you pull up to their house, you can tune into a frequency on your radio and uh, you'll hear songs and then you'll have these lights that flash up. One of those songs is a Coldplay song that took them over 35 hours to actually program and sync up to that Coldplay song. Now, I love Coldplay. Coldplay's great, but not that great. They just spent 35 hours doing that, yeah. So, so we love Christmas lights at Christmas time. Sometimes we go a little bit over the top. I don't know if you heard about this house that was down in Texas um, where, where they decorated their house with lights, and then they thought, you know what, we'll go one step beyond that um, and so they wanted to recreate a scene from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where Clark Griswold is hanging onto a gutter off the house. Well, this was a little confusing for one passerby, and this is what happened. Let's take a look. This good Samaritan, seen on a home surveillance camera, thinks he's responding to an emergency. A stricken homeowner dangling from the roof while stringing Christmas lights. Oh, Mr. Please hold on. The Good Samaritan from Austin, Texas, struggles to move a ladder to come to the rescue. All right, can you reach it? Can you reach it? What he didn't realize is that the homeowner is actually a mannequin of none other than Clark Griswold, the buffoonish dad played by Chevy Chase in the holiday comedy National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so that poor man, um, what, a great, what a great effort, right? He's a veteran of military, and, and so he was just trying to do what he has already done, which is serve other people. Um, the owners of that home actually tracked him down, and they were able to give him a gift card for all of his efforts. Um, he actually ended up calling 911, emergency rescue, you know, showed up to the house to help out that mannequin hanging on to the house. So if you go out tonight to look at lights, um, and you see a, a man hanging from the, the um, gutters. Don't do anything, okay? Just, just keep driving by. Um, we love lights. And we've come a long way since 1882 when the first Christmas lights were used to decorate a Christmas tree. That was used by a guy named Thomas Edison. Maybe you've heard of him. He didn't have this grand idea of celebrating Christmas. He had a grand idea of marketing a new invention called the light bulb. And so he put lights on a Christmas tree in New York City and had it turning in the windows. And people marveled at that. And people thought, ooh, we should put lights on our Christmas tree. That actually wasn't a new invention uh, or at least an advent of Christmas time. It goes all the way back to the 17th century where German Christians actually took a, a tradition from pagan celebration at Christmas time where they put lights on their tree, and not in the form of a light bulb because they hadn't been invented yet, but in the form of candles. That sounds really safe. We'll put candles, open flame, with wood. Um, anyway, so um, they would burn these lights. And I don't know why the pagans used that as a tradition, but what we do know is that those early Christians in the 17th century started burning candles on their tree, the evergreen tree, for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is actually the purpose of our conversation today. And that is that what they wanted to represent with the candles on the Christmas tree is the birth of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. And the greatest um, thing that we can have to experience sight is light. God knew what he was doing when he sent Jesus into the world, who is called the light of the world. Because without light, we cannot have sight. We cannot see. And so in the series, what we've been talking about is how through Christmas, we have this message that is sent loud and clear to all of us that regardless of our age, regardless of our stage, regardless of our phase of life, regardless of the sin or maybe our past experiences, we all have an invitation to personally experience God through a relationship. 
And God's given us these great things called senses, the sense of hearing, the sense of tasting, the sense of smell, and the sense of sight, tomorrow touch, where we have the opportunity to experience God personally through a relationship with God's son, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the light of the world, then we're meant to experience him in the true meaning of Christmas through our sight. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. If you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, John's in the New Testament of the Bible. It's written by one of Jesus's best friends. In fact, he's considered to be the most beloved disciple. Um, Now, John wrote the Gospel of John the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He kind of gives himself the the self-proclaimed title of the beloved disciple. So I don't know what that means, but we know that they had a close relationship. And and he wrote some very specific things about who Jesus was to to minister to the culture of the day and the context of the day so that they could have appropriate understanding of who he is. And we've already taken a look at some of the meanings of the words that we're going to read today and that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. This was the understanding of God so that we could experience God and then express him. But today we find out that he, in addition to being the word of God made flesh, he's also the light of the world. Let's take a look at what John wrote. Jesus's good friend, John, wrote about him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light lights up the darkness. Darkness shall not overcome it. And in just a couple of chapters later, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have life. I love the way that John frames this for people. When it comes to experiencing God firsthand and personally, especially through the sense of sight, It's impossible without light. Light is what illuminates things. If there were a complete darkness, you would not be able to see anything. I want to ask our our light guy back there. Um, I think that's Ryan. Ryan, would you just kind of kill the house lights, kill every light in here, I guess, except for our screen maybe, and then the natural light that's coming through the door. Um, As it gets darker, it's harder to see. Now, in just a moment, because we, we don't have complete darkness in here, you would actually be able to to adjust to some of the light, but, um, but we don't have the ability to see until there's just a little bit of light. Even just a little bit of light will give us an opportunity to see. And if, if we have this light, the longer it goes on, our, our eyes will adjust to this light. It will be able to see more things. We'll be able to, to figure out where we are. We'll figure out what's going on around us, and we'll feel comfortable with the light, not the darkness, but the light. Now, in a brilliant move, and pun was intended there, in a brilliant move, God gave us the light of a child. We can turn the house lights back on. In fact, as drastically as possible, if you could turn them on, that would be great. Yeah, not too drastic for you. Make sure I get my light off here. In a brilliant move by God, he sends us the light of Jesus, a baby that was born, a dim light, a light that allows humanity to adjust to the brilliance of God instead of coming with glaring, blaring lights. God came with the dim light of a baby. I mean, how much more brilliant can you get? If God had come in some other form, maybe in the way that the Israelites expected the Messiah to come, the Savior of the world, as a, as a ruler who came to overthrow and topple the Roman government to establish the, the nation of Israel as a world power and to free people from any kind of oppression that they might sense. That, that would have been a powerful way, a, br- a, a bright way of coming into the world. 
And what we know about studying sight is that if there's too much brightness too quickly, it can actually harm our ability to see. And so God chooses not to come in the form of a ruler of a government, but in the form of a baby, a dim light, a small light, to where the world can adjust to the light and accept that. And when there's just even a little bit of light, darkness can't overcome it. As long as we had that little bit of light in this room, darkness would not be able to overcome it. And there's something powerful about a dim light. There's something powerful about a small light. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the most comforting things that, that I can experience at Christmas time is just the light of the Christmas tree. In fact, on Friday night, it was about 1.40. I couldn't go to sleep at all. Um, we had a late night at our house, and about 1.40, I started to get that thing that sometimes you experience late at night. It's called hunger. And uh, so I, was, I, I, um, I just got I decided I was going to get up. No, normally, I would just sleep through that, but I decided to get up. Um, Liz asked me on Saturday, she was like, what did you eat? I was like, I ate two bowls of chili. I ate yogurt. And I had a protein bar. And she was like, what? You had like a second meal. I was like, yeah, I was hungry. Um, so, so I was up at uh, 1.40 and uh, eating all that food. Um, I didn't turn on any lights in the house except for the Christmas tree. And I had the Christmas tree and I was just eating. There's something comforting about that dim, small light. There's something inviting about a dim, small light. It gives you comfort. And it was just enough light for me to be able to see. That's the light of Christ. That's the significance of God coming in the form of a baby, the light of the world, not this blaring bright light that through the, the brilliance of it could cause harm to our sight, but instead something that offers comfort, something that, com that uh, offers ease, something that also offers us an opportunity to adjust to light. H have you ever noticed what happens when you're ever like um, in the presence of just bright light, like pure light, you have the ability to sometimes see things that you normally wouldn't see. If you're in a room and there's bright light and it's pure light, sometimes you see some things that are left unclean. Have you ever noticed that? Like maybe, maybe some dust that wasn't quite dusted up or maybe some cobwebs that are in the corner or, or maybe a, a missed spot on the carpet with the vacuum cleaner. And, and have you ever been in the presence of pure light, bright light when there's a mirror there? And the closer you get to that mirror and the, the brighter the light is, the more blemishes you start to recognize on your, your, your skin, yeah? Um, it, or you're in the presence of somebody else and you start to see their blemishes too. Yeah, what, what Jesus allowed us to experience when it comes to um, this dim light of a baby being born is allows us to adjust to the purity of who God is. Where we're confronted with those areas of darkness that are in our life those areas of sin, maybe those areas of shame, but that through Christ and through growing closer to Christ, we can adjust as we get there, never diminishing the fact that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but allowing us to approach God through Jesus and through his grace in a way to where God can reveal those things to us in a way that it doesn't harm us and doesn't keep us away from God. This is the invitation of a baby being born God in the flesh, in the form of a baby, the light of the world. And Jesus says, Jesus says that if you'll follow me, you will have the light of life. If you follow me, you'll have the light of life. We've got a lot of people who have faith in Jesus, but we, what Jesus is calling is for people to follow him. And if we'll follow him, not just have faith in him, but follow him, then we'll experience this light of life, this light that will allow you to experience the life that God designed for you and that God desires for you, one to where you can have peace and comfort. When the world seems dark around you, uh, maybe when you see darkness in the world and, and maybe you've got some darkness in your circumstances where you're having a hard time seeing where the light at the end of the tunnel will be, when, when there's some things going on around you that aren't cool and and, and you don't think they match up with what God prefers for your life, Jesus, if you'll follow him, will provide peace for you and comfort for you. But he'll also provide guidance for you. And what a great benefit of light is that light allows us to navigate dark areas. Um, you need just a little bit of light 
when you're a parent in a, in a house with kids because you never know when a Lego is going to be left on the floor or a toy is going to be left on the floor. The other night I got up in the middle of the night because I'm over 40. I had to go to the bathroom and I uh, was going through my um, bathroom. It was completely dark in there and stepped on Liz's hair dryer. I mean, you need a little bit of light in darkness to navigate certain things. You need light in life to navigate light, life. You need the light of Christ. If you'll follow me, you'll experience life. It's comfortable. It's a guide. It provides the life that we need in Christ. And when we have received that light, we're called to release that light. When I was young, and maybe you've heard this song, um, in church, I was taught a little song about light. Um, it goes a little bit like this. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Thank you for finally catching on to the fact that you could sing along with that. Hide it under a bushel. There you go. I'm going to let it shine. Yeah. We're not meant to hide the light that we have. And so when you have received the light, when you, when you have faith in the light of Jesus, and when you follow the light of Jesus, you're not called to hide the light. You're called to shine the light. John writes in another book of the Bible in 1 John that we have been witnesses to the light that has been manifest. That means made real and present to us, named Jesus. And because we have been witnesses to the light, we witness to the light. We witness about the light. In other words, we've seen the light, and so now we show the light. And we're called to show the light just in the same way that God has shown us the light, in that dim, comforting way to where we're drawn in and we can adjust. Not in some bright and powerful way that can actually harm. I mean, how many of you have ever been in one of those environments where you've heard somebody maybe doing their best to preach, like to preach to you, but at the same time that they're preaching, it also feels like it's causing harm. I mean, the first time I ever experienced this was when I was at freshman at the University of Georgia, go dogs. And I was down at the student center and there was a guy that was standing in the middle of the campus of UGA. And he was talking to all the passers-by and pointing out all their flaws and, and pointing out all their sin that he somehow perceived because of the way they were dressed or because of some simple uh, behavior that they had going on. Now, I've been to football games at both in Atlanta and also in Athens where somebody's got a megaphone and, and they're standing there and they've got a list of all kinds of sin that people have and, and talk about how that separates them from God. And, and you know what? There's truth in that. Our sin does separate us from God. But what that is for some people in darkness is just a bright light that causes harm. When we're called to show the light of Christ, we're called to show it in a way that's comforting and inviting to others. And one of the best ways for us to do that is through acts of love first. Always lead with love. That's how we show the light. We always lead with love. That's how Jesus did it. And so what we do is we look for darkness in the world around us and we penetrate the darkness with love. Like the way that our church partners with certain global partners, um, one of our global partners is Amigos for Christ. They're in Nicaragua. Uh, we typically take an annual trip down there. We've got a family trip coming up this summer to Nicaragua to work with Amigos for Christ. Amigos for Christ uh, it was a group of people, Christ followers, who decided that they were going to go to a country where um, there, were some, there was some darkness, and the darkness centered around kind of some life stuff, where, um, you know, specifically, people didn't have clean drinking water, um, and so people were dying uh, because of that water. Um, children were malnourished. Um, children often had to, to center their days around going and fetching water, bringing that back, so they weren't getting the education that they needed. And so Amigos for Christ was established first and foremost to get clean drinking water in people's homes. And then, and then what they discovered is that there were other issues that could be addressed. And so after they would bring uh, clean drinking water to a community in Nicaragua, then they, would bring it, um, then they would bring sanitary bathrooms to the homes in Nicaragua. And, and then what they would do 
has established healthy kitchens in Nicaragua because outside of the the um, drinking water that was there, the the number two killer was respiratory disease, and it was because all the smoke from from cooking was trapped in homes, and so um, safe. Um, kitchens for people. And then, then they realized that there were some educational needs, so they would set up schools and communities. And then from there, they would help these families establish good, healthy business practices in homes or in their families so that they could have a sustainable life. All the while, they're demonstrating the love of Christ. Their whole purpose is to show the light of Christ through love. Our church has been in partnership with them over a number of years now. And this week, in fact, we received a word of thanks from the team at Amigos for Christ, about our participation in one of their water projects that was just open and celebrated. And so they sent us a video where they thank us specifically. I want you to see this video, hear their words, but also pay attention at the very end of the closing, what they said unsolicited about our effort there. Let's take a look. But she saw people come into her community and serving her and seeing herself as a person that needed to be helped. Whereas now she realized that I'm still the same person, but I have the capacity to help. It just proves that Jesus' model and that whole system of modeling things actually is how humans work. Y he ido dos veces, tranquila, con todos me siento tranquila, hasta con los hermanos de allá del Pedregal, porque ellos se, 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 nos hicieron una entrada con emoción, ellos nos abrazaban, nos, nos dijeron que no nos olvidáramos, con, con, poniendo la mano a, a la presencia de Dios, nosotros vamos. Dios es el primero. No, ellos no pudieron, entonces nosotros missionaries that have come over all these years, if they ever wondered the impact that they have, yeah, there's, there's infrastructure, there's change that's happened here, incredible, incredible amount of change has come here, but if, if, they, if they take a step back and go, what impact did I really have? Like, why did I not just write the check? And why did I actually come down here? Because transform people, transform people. And it's just like that, that model actually works. You know, having all these, you know, years of, of people coming to serve Nicaraguans, to see it play out like that, to me, really satisfying to be part of Amigos, that we're, we're facilitating that.
Isn't that good stuff? What I love about that is that because of the, the light that was shined in Nicaragua from others who have received that light, Nicaraguans now are starting to show that light. Um, there were a lot of mission trips that were canceled this summer because of some things that were going on in Nicaragua, and it forced Amigos for Christ and Nicaraguans to rethink the way we were doing mission work there. And so now Nicaraguans are in mission to Nicaraguans. It's a powerful testimony about what happens when you've received the light and then you release the light into the world. Another powerful testimony of what happens when you receive the light and uh, release the light in the world is through um, Sarah and Roberto and their two daughters. Um, if y'all aren't familiar with Sarah and Roberto, they live in Mozambique, Africa, um, and uh, they, um, they are in ministry through our, one of our partners, um, partner ministries called Masana and it's a partnership of ministry there, there. Um, and so we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. We wanted you to be able to see them as kind of become a tradition for us around Christmas time to see the two of you and to see your family as it grows. So um, Sarah, um, back us up a little bit to kind of you going and maybe experiencing Mozambique for the first time. What was it that you saw there that, uh, that kind of motivated you or started to stir a calling to, to be light into um, that community. Um, is this on? Okay, yeah, Maya didn't on. turn it off again. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was still living here in the States, I worked at the University of Georgia Wesley Foundation. So every year I would go on mission trips, I think for a course of nine years. I, I've traveled all over the world, but I always felt like when it was time to come home, I was ready to come home and never felt a calling to the nations. Um, but in 2006, I went to Mozambique for the first time and was there just for two weeks and um, working at an orphanage just outside of the capital city. And during that two weeks, I just saw such joy um, in the people that I met. Um, I remember going on outreaches into the bush, into the local villages, and seeing people who had nothing, yet they had such joy. And um, I was at an orphanage with over 300 children um, who were just so full of joy. And I remember as we were leaving to go to the airport, um, we were all in a back of a flatbed truck with all of our suitcases. And um, I remember seeing all of the children from the orphanage that I had just known for two weeks and just feeling this deep heart connection with them. And it was the first time that I ever cried when it was time to leave um, another country. And I um, knew that it was God's heart for the people of Mozambique that he was giving me. Cool. Um, Roberto, you, you are, are from Mozambique. And so um, that's Sarah's experience coming over to Mozambique. Um, what did you, um, and, and I know y'all have got this relationship that formed into marriage, and so there's a, a blending of kind of calls, but um, can you talk about maybe God stirring within you um, as somebody from Mozambique to, to really address some specific needs that were there? Does that make sense? Um, Oh, um, I think I, I already shared my, my life uh, here one day, and I didn't, I didn't knew my, uh, um, uh, my biologic parents, mm -hmm. and I was adopted when I was maybe five years old. And when I met Sarah, and we share our personal life, I, I just knew that God wants to us to be together, because we have... Uh, same, uh, uh, we had the same, uh, same, same, uh, <laughs> tivemos mesmas, uh, mesmas uh, testemunhas de vida. We had um, similar testimonies in our lives and the things that were passionate in our hearts. E quando eu era criança, sempre quis trabalhar com crianças uh, do orfanato, porque eu cresci no orfanato também. When I was a child, I always wanted to be a part of helping children in orphanage, since that's where I grew up as well. E quando conheci Massana pela primeira vez, foi como se fosse uma luz que Deus tinha para mim e para ajudar as crianças também com ela. And when I knew Sarah and then heard about Masana, it was like a light came on and that this was what God had for me as well. E agora sou tão feliz porque uh, cada vez mais que estamos na Massana, no nosso projeto, eu tenho conhecido muitas crianças que vêm de diferentes partes do, do país e que nós não conhecemos, mas elas são convidados por outras crianças e acabam conhecendo Masana. And um, now I get to be a part of Masana every day and I get, have come to know many 
<clears throat> children from all over the country of Mozambique who hear about Masana from other children on the street and come mm. to us. That's cool. Um, I'm over here nodding like I understand what, he, what you're saying in Portuguese. Um, he's, they, um, in, in Mozambique, they speak Portuguese. I took Portuguese at Georgia. Um, and so like I hear one word and I'm like, mm, mm, yeah, I have no clue um, what you're saying. So, hey, y'all take one, one step forward for me. Uh, realize that uh, because of the lighting, uh, this might be helpful. Um, uh, and so, so you talk about the power of Masana. You grew up and experiencing kind of this, this life um, as an orphan, but also being adopted um, and then hearing um, Sarah's heart and Masana's heart, it, it, it jived. Talk about, can y'all talk about Masana, what y'all are doing to actually show the light of Christ in that community? So give us a, a good explanation of what Masana does to show the light of Christ. Okay. Uh, one of the things that we used to... I can understand, you know. Okay. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... Sorry. <laughs> I interrupted your, your thought there. Sorry about that. Well, for me, uh, we used to receive uh, different kids uh, with uh, different injuries. And uh, I am the person that used to uh, help them. And uh, those kids, sometimes we don't know where, where they come from. And I think uh, the, the children from Asana, they just invite different kids from like out there. And I, I think is how I see the light. Um. So we, um, Masana works with street boys. So we have anywhere from 20 to 30 boys a day that come to our home um, that have chosen to live on the streets. They do have families where they could be, and that's ultimately our goal is to help them realize that the street is not an okay place to be and that they do need to make the choice to go back to their families. And so as Roberto was saying, we actually live at the Masana Project. And so we are there 24 seven. Um, one of the things that we love about our ministry is that we are a safe place for the street boys. And they know that whatever time, day or night, if somebody is in need of help, they can come to us. And so we'll often have street boys that show up in the middle of the night who have been injured in some sort of fight or who have been run over, um, their foot has been run over by a car and they need to get to the hospital. And um, we love that we get to be that, that safe place, like a light that they know that they can come to um, whatever hour of the day it is. Cool. Um, last question this morning. How can we help partner with y'all, um, whether it's through prayer, uh, tangible ways to help show the light of Christ in, in Mozambique? Um, as we say every year, we want you to come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the early um, years that I was in Mozambique, we had a couple of teams come over from the Vine, and they really invested in our staff a lot. And so we'd love if that could happen again one day in the future, um, some people from here that would come over with a heart to pour into our local Mozambicans, like you saw in Nicaragua, what's happening, the Mozambicans that are stepping up to be a light to their own people. Mm. Um, and then also, yeah, just prayer. We, um, the streets are a dark place, and the kids are facing a lot of hopelessness, and we get to be a light to them. We get to be the ones that are trying to point them to a better life um, and hopefully help them leave the streets and be reunited with their families where they can have a better life. And so, yeah, we'd appreciate your prayers in that. Awesome. Um, so thanks for being here. They're going to come, they're going to go over to our Flowery Branch campus. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to um, pray, but as I'm praying, if y'all want to go ahead and, and make way, um, that would be great. So just to, to reiterate, as far as specific ways that we can show light, um, the light of Christ um, in, in a way that is supportive, um, we, could be, we could be present with them. In fact, we had a, a team that we wanted to take over, um, but the team just didn't have the, the, the necessary like, people to go. Um, so um, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to take a, a team of folks. So if you're a person that would like to experience Mozambique firsthand, um, we'd love to do that. Um, we can be in prayer for them. Our church is a financial partner with them. And so through your generosity and through our outreach budget, we're helping fund that. Um, and so, but I would also say that if the, the spirit of the Lord um, moves upon you to, to show extra generosity, you can certainly express that um, to them uh, today um, in, in, in whatever way. I know they got to go, but if, um, if you feel that prompt, then we'll make sure that we get them that appropriate funding. But um, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if y'all will make your way so that y'all can get over there, that would be fantastic. And we'll see you back here at 11 o'clock. Before I pray, would y'all give it up for them for being here with us this morning? That's right. All right. Uh, join me for a word of prayer. Let's pray. 
Um, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we had today to be able to um, experience your word um, and the way that your word translates your, um, your heart for us, to us, in a way that we can understand. And God, we thank you for wiring um, our lives through our five senses in a way to where we can experience you. And so when it comes to hearing the, the pages of Scripture spoken out loud, uh, when it comes to singing um, lyrics from Christmas songs or other praise songs, when it comes from uh, when it comes to seeing um, seeing Jesus, um, seeing the the fullness of life in Christ, we thank you that we can know that it is possible for us to experience you. And God, I would pray for any of us in this room who have never had a personal encounter, a personal experience with you, that we would come to a place where, um, where we have faith that you came as one of us. Um, you came and, and you lived a perfect life through Jesus, that you, um, that you uh, through Jesus, became a sacrifice for our sin, and that three days after your death on the cross, you came back to life so that we could experience this life that, that is called abundant, that is called overwhelming and overflowing, and that's also eternal, it's never ending. God, I would pray for any person that is in this room who has never before placed faith in Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, that today would be that day where they place faith in him. And for others who have a, a belief or a trust, but who haven't translated that into following, I pray that today would be a following. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll have the light of life. I pray that any person who feels like they're walking in darkness today would not just trust, but would take steps to follow the light. That we would fix our eyes on on this light that provides comfort and peace, but also guides us. I pray that that would take place today through the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would move us to be people who have received the light to, to release the light. If we've seen the light, that we would show the light, that we would not hide the light of Christ, but that we would look to show it in, in the same way that you showed light to us that in a and kind of this ease, this dim, but yet penetrating light that draws us in, that overcomes darkness. God, would you allow us to see darkness and to reach out into it with your love? And, and Father, I pray that you would call generations in this place to, to go into places of darkness like Nicaragua and Mozambique and other places of, of darkness in this world and to be the light of Christ and maybe the first light of Christ to be there. God, would you use the light that's in this room to overwhelm the darkness of our community and of this nation and of this world so that you would receive glory and you would receive honor. God, we love you. We thank you for your comforting and guiding light. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you 